Good morning. morning. Welcome to Belleville First Church of the Nazarene. Please stand and worship with us this morning. Thanks be seated. 
Well, so what are we, is it 2021 or is it 2021? Yes? I can do either. Okay. Welcome to 2021, our first Sunday. It's good to be with you and see you here in the house of the Lord. And it's sure a lot warmer in here than it is outside. And if you're joining us by the miracles of technology, we welcome you as well. We are here today because we are compelled by our, our hearts, by our needs. We need to be with each other, but most importantly, we need to be with the Lord. We've got a couple of announcements. Um, we will continue with uh, prayer and Bible study, 6.30 on Tuesday night. So be sure and watch your email for that link uh, this afternoon at 5.30. Uh, the plans are for us to dismantle the last vestiges of Christmas um, and, and get rid of 2020, the last things that we can remember of it, and move on. So if you can come out and help, we've not got a lot to do, but if you're here and can be here, we can do it much quicker. Also, in the foyer, uh, there are baby bottles for our baby bottle campaign, and I believe we have a video uh, to give us some information on that.
So be sure to pick up your baby bottle and contribute to Mosaic and the ministry that they have, which it, through them we are able to stand with people whose decisions we want to influence. So be sure and do that. Let's pray together. It is with humbleness and rejoicing that we come into your house on this third day of the new year. We have many things to bring before you and make petition, but right now, Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your provisions. Thank you, Lord, that you search us out. So prepare us to worship you now. Prepare us to express our joy and our gratitude and to listen in humbleness in the many ways you will speak to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read and invite you to read with me um, from Job chapter 42, and we are going to read the first six verses. Then Job answered the Lord, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you declare to me, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And so Job speaks at the end of this book, exploring the relationship between God and man and God's life and man. So hear the word of the Lord. And may it begin to bless us as we sing. Please stand and sing with us. We have one more Christmas song for this Christmas season.
next Saturday morning from 8 to 12, we're going to have the church open for prayer. Uh, I have um, left a sign-up list out there so we can spread ourselves out and be here uh, safely. So be sure and sign up for that. And if you can't come, um, if you even lauded this time for uh, identifying that you'll be praying at home during that time. We have much to pray about. We have a new pastor coming. We need to pray for her transition, transition of her family, and for our preparedness for her ministry. We still have much going on in the world that needs our surrendering it to the Lord. And if nothing else, we need to learn and pray that we can wait upon him and be patient. Um, so I invite you, sign up and come and, and let's pray together on next Saturday. Join me now, would you, as we go to the Lord in prayer. As you, whether you're in this room or whether you're at home, as you take your request and thanksgiving to the Lord. Let's pray. I wonder sometimes, Lord, how we try your patience. How we continue to bring the same things to you and then turn around and make choices that go against what we ask you for. I wonder sometimes, Lord, how it is that we have the audacity to keep coming back to you. And then I remember your grace. I remember your invitation. I remember your willingness to forgive us. So we've come together this morning as needy as ever. Hopefully, we're not as sinful as ever. Hopefully, our connection with you is stronger than ever. Hopefully, our surrender is increasing. Those are all fitting, Lord, responses to what you do for us all the time. So, Lord, you know our requests. We know that you 
are acting even as we bring them in. But yet you ask us, you tell us to make our requests known to you. We have many requests for physical intervention in the lives of people. But this morning, Lord, I ask that you will intervene in our spiritual lives. May the Holy Spirit have a special opportunity among those of us who are gathered here, in the room or via the internet. May we open ourselves at the beginning of this year to hear what you have to say to us. So come, Lord, speak to us in song. Speak to us in the meditation of our hearts and in the breaking of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand and continue to worship with us this morning.
It's been my habit, my pattern, to do a Bible study, a book study in the month of January. So some months ago, before I knew for certain that this would be the last few Sundays that I would be serving you in this role, um, I determined that we'd spend January in the book of Philippians. So I invite you to... Spend some time in your devotional life and your private reading and meditation reading this book of the New Testament. And if you have access to other study guides or other, other people's thoughts on this besides mine, I invite you to take advantage of those. So this morning, we're going to begin in the first chapter. So if you've got your Bibles and you will turn with me, we're going to read uh, Philippians 1, 3 to 11, and then 27 and the first part of 28. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. <clears throat> I am confident of this, that the one who has begun a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share <clears throat> in God's grace with me both in my imprisonment 
and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Only live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel, and are in no way intimidated by your opponents. The Lord's word for us this morning. Philippi was a city in Macedonia, but you probably know that from Acts and the Macedonian call. It had been a village and it had been destroyed a few times, but it was given this name Philippi by Philip, the father of Alexander the Great, some 400 years before Paul's visit. And about 70 years, maybe 80 years before Paul's visit, it had been the site of the decisive battle that was the transition between the Republic and the Empire of Rome. When those who had executed Julius Caesar were defeated, and Octavian, his nephew, who was later Augustus Caesar, rebuilt the city after that battle. And then he made it a place where he could relocate veterans from his army. The Ignatian Road ran through Philippi, connecting the eastern provinces with Rome. And you know, it was the site of the first Christian congregation in Europe. Now, the occasion for this letter is really a thank you note to donors. Paul, Paul knew his stuff. He had received a gift from the church in Philippi. They had sent money to him because he was in prison and they wanted to show their support tangibly. They had sent Aphroditus to bring that, and Aphroditus had gotten sick just shortly after he had arrived with the gift, and this had caused quite a concern in Philippi. And so now Paul is sending him back with this letter so that he can assure them of... Aphrodite's full recovery. Now, these are solid relationships. This church and Paul were tight. And we'll, 
as you read this book, you, you'll see the kind of love and compassion and depth of relationship that existed. Several critical reasons for this. The, the Philippians had wholeheartedly accepted the gospel. Now, too often we think of this as details. Do you realize that it's very likely that you know more about the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ? You have more information and details than Paul did. There was no New Testament. The Gospels weren't written. He had heard some stories. He had talked to some people. But he had been seized on the road to Damascus by an experience with the risen Lord. And so the gospel for Paul is this life-changing experience of being confronted by God who came in flesh, who lived among us, who was crucified, and who was resurrected. That's the truth of the gospel. Philippians had seized that and had reoriented their lives because of it. Secondly, the second factor is that Paul expresses that the, all of them share together a complete confidence that God is more than capable of finishing what he starts. Third, together, Paul and the church had mutually experienced the grace of God. It was a common experience, something they shared, something that bound them together, this experience. Fourth, their love was mutual, and it was based upon the compassion of Christ that they had experienced and that they had shared with each other. This message comes to us. If you look closely, Paul's saying, this is my prayer for you. So this message is, a, is really a prayer. And the prayer that Paul offers that we've read this morning is his concern for these Philippians at this time after these events. And he prays for a special chemistry of love. Did you notice that he prays that their love will overflow? It will abound more and more. It will increase. And how will we know that it increases? Because of the knowledge and the insight that it produces. Not just emotions but tangible experiences. Now, this knowledge, this gnosis that the, the New Testament talks about is a gift of grace. Paul has mentioned that it is the basis of the manner of, of the life that they now live. And this love can only increase in knowledge that is reflexive a knowledge that people think about 
and used to change how they live. And that's the basis of the Christian experience, that in God's grace to us, we begin to see ourselves and see the world as it is and change. And change. And this is grounded in love that leads to this right action, this change. You see, Paul wasn't saddled with the misconception we have. You and I, as people living in this culture, are compartmentalized. We have been trained from our earliest days in school that we break things down into small parts so that we can evaluate them. So we separate our lives into these various small parts. Paul doesn't have that problem. Knowledge and love and insight are all knit together. And he sees them as the basis for the pursuing of the goal that is set before him. You see, Paul, just like us, was goal-oriented. Which means that the insight that the love is to produce is to make it easier for us to pursue our goal. That's Paul's prayer, that we will see better how we can pursue the goal that is put before us, how we can determine what is best, not just good, but what is best, because the goal is that we produce a harvest of righteousness. Any farmers out here? Got a few farmers, don't we? Anybody grow up on a farm? Harvest isn't just going to the grocery store and getting something on sale. Harvest is going out in the field. Now, most of you know I've got a farm in Africa. Still, well, we're, it's, it's, it's a stretch to say we're still limping. We've had several setbacks. But I remember that first season we had a harvest of corn. We, we, grew, we grew maize, we grew corn for seed for the government to sell quality seed. And the place that we had prepared just wouldn't hold the amount of corn that we grew. And then several seasons later, we had the... I mean, it, it, the, 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 the corn sprouted better than anything we ever had before or since. We had stalks. I mean, they were seven feet tall. And, and it was looking to be even a better crop. And then the, the rains didn't come. What I learned about, I, I mean, what, I didn't learn much about raising corn in, in St. Louis County. But what I learned was that you got to have rain to get it up. But you, if you don't have rain at the right time to put those kernels on the ears, you're in trouble. So we had a good-looking crop of corn stalks. And only about 10% of the stalks had an ear on them. 
That was not an abundant harvest. Sometimes I wonder if that analogy doesn't fit more with our life. And about spiritual things. This isn't about what looks good. It is about what we produce. And it has to produce issue from a love that comes from the compassion of Christ. The Christian community is a community built on the compassion of Christ. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, writing in the 30s in Germany, said that the church is filled with people who are looking for an emotionally satisfying experience. And he says that's not the basis for Christian fellowship. He said the basis for Christian fellowship is a a love that is grounded in faith. Because emotions tie it to our own human strivings and our own human goal-seeking. Faith ties it to God. And a fellowship that is based on emotions can never become the fellowship that God intends. Because just as emotions will take us to the heights, emotions will take us to the depths when anger and disappointment and other destructive aspects of emotions become a sign that indicate that our fellowship isn't healthy. But faith-based love allows us to approach the good times and the bad times knowing that God has established us in the compassion of Christ. Listen, I bet you remember these words. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we are prophesy only in part, but when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish things. Now, contrary to how we think about these words, they were not spoken to people originally in the middle of a marriage conference. They formed the middle chapter of three of Paul's most decisive words to the Christian community, to the church. He says, love is structured by patience, kindness, It's not envious or arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. 
It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Have you ever been a member of a Christian community characterized by this kind of love? I haven't. I can point to individuals with these characteristics, but not congregations. Closest I ever came was some years ago. I pastored a group that had some of the most outspoken, pro-choice Christians I've ever encountered. And some of the most ardent, pro-life. And they listened to each other. They disagreed in love. They laughed at each other. They weren't changed by each other, but they gave each other the space to follow Christ. And it didn't destroy our fellowship. When word got out that I pastored such a group, I was accused of being liberal just simply for doing such a thing and encouraging people to listen to the Holy Spirit and to love each other. But that's the closest I've come. You see, pragmatism would require you to tell me that I'm just too optimistic or maybe even naive, but I think this is what Paul tells us, that love needs to grow in these characteristics and become abundant so that it creates a harvest of righteousness. So if I'm any of those things, I'll stand with Paul because I think he was the same. So process this with me. What have you done when a fellow church member has treated you poorly? Has abandoned you? Did you feel attacked when somebody, a fellow member of your congregation, expressed a political opinion that differs from your own? Or when they took a stand on some social issue that you vehemently disagree with and even consider unbiblical? Maybe it was something just as simple as pet peeves. Now, my list isn't exclusive, exhaustive, but it's, I wanted it to sharpen our focus between what Paul said and what all too often our experience has been. We today need to determine how we contribute to an environment where love is not abundant. See, I think we really know what those things are. We just would prefer not to talk about it. We would rather hide. And how do we hide? We hide by being nice. So we have unwritten rules about that we can't talk about things. We can't, we can't in Christian fellowship disagree about social or political are cultural things. Because if we are all 
responded to the gospel, then we should all think alike, shouldn't we? No, we should be all radically reoriented in our living because of Jesus Christ's claim on us. And then in the midst of that, we should be willing to work out our differences. Can, I, I described for you where Philippi is at. Can you imagine that this church in Philippi is made up of a homogeneous group? They're Jews, they're Greeks. I mean, Macedonia sits at the crossroads of Central Europe and Southwest Asia and, and, and Italy on, on to the west. It's made up of Roman soldiers, ex-Roman soldiers. It, there's a, there's a, um, a port nearby. There are people from all over the world in this church. You think they agree about everything? You see, we have been afraid to confront small differences but I want to tell you, the world that is opening up for us now will make the past differences we've had to work through pale in comparison. If you don't expect us to be divided in our opinion on things, if you don't expect us to need to find ways that we can engage each other openly, and I don't mean discover this, I mean plan for it. I mean, take action. But you see, we don't trust each other that much. So you think we could talk about abortion? You think we could talk about gender identity? Our sex? Our race? Well, we're going to be nice and pretend like those things don't exist. How does love overflow in knowledge when we pretend that we don't need to know? Because how are we going to live the gospel in a world which has these issues in a daily context for us? I don't know how to think about all these things. I don't know how to react to all these things. I don't know how to bear witness to a loving God in the midst of a world structured in this way. I didn't grow up with that. My world was radically different from that. And if I don't have help, I will blunder around in the darkness. You see... What Paul is talking about here is righteousness as process, not as product. Do we have a righteous way to be with each other, to create a harvest of righteousness? Because you see, we need to live godly lives in our culture. People are struggling with the things that I've mentioned and much more. And if we're not comfortable talking with each other about it, how do you think they feel? 
You see, Paul dealt with this, and I didn't, we don't have time to read it all, but look at the verses following this, and you'll find that Paul laid out for the Philippians that there were people taking advantage of his imprisonment to, to do him dirty, to, um, to, to try to take advantage of him, try to, try to ruin his reputation. And Paul says he doesn't care as long as Christ is being preached. Verse 27. Stand firm in one spirit, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. One mind means having one goal. It doesn't mean having one opinion. It means having one goal, one purpose. This church exists for Jesus to be loved and worshipped and glorified in our living. And it, that, it, that it, it happens so much that it boils out into the world around us. Robert Nash is a professor of religion at Shorter College, and he identifies the gospel's progress that Paul talks about three ways that we're, the church is to offer the truth of God's grace and love to its culture, that it's to enhance the spirituality of its members, and it's to cultivate a caring community that reflects the kingdom of God. And it is not emotional love, but faith love that shows the kingdom of God is present. Well, if you think cultural change has been happening fast, I suggest you, so, you strap yourself down. I've got a book on one, of my, on one of my shelves in my library at home that talks about riding the juggernaut. And it talks about social and cultural change that's approaching. And that was before COVID-19 in 2020. And COVID-19 in 2020 has become an accelerant. It has sped up the rate of change in many areas of our life and in our culture. Some experts believe that it has moved our major segments of our economy ahead 10 years. And if you've been paying attention, you know there are national conversations about race. And they are going to be in our face. We're not going to be able to avoid conversations about politics. We are in a time when the very nature and structure of our governing is at risk. Politicians have long made it clear to us that their major objective in their political life was being reelected. That's not been a secret. <clears throat> but now they're willing to risk the very nature of our corporate life together to hang on to power. The larger Christian community has to face 
this context with a force capable of neutralizing it. And Paul says that is love that overflows into knowledge and true insight. Do you expect all congregations to survive this shutdown? They won't. There are conversations, you know I teach at Greenville College or University, there are conversations there about the number of higher, places of higher education that are going to be forced to shut down. They're going to have to change the way they do business. We've lost a third of our small businesses in the last 10 months. You think all churches are going to survive? I can guarantee you, those churches that, have, that are characterized by the kind of love that Paul prays for the Philippians will. And if we're not characterized by that, I am not sure. Now, in the six months that I, plus now, that I have served as your interim pastor, I have observed a congregation that has the best organization for its business activity and for managing its plant that I've ever been a part of in 50 years of ministry. The attention here to that kind of detail surpasses anything I've ever experienced. I've not seen the same thing in attention to the spiritual fate of this congregation. I do not see the same striving together for growth in our spiritual lives. I see a warm, friendly community, but not one that I would say exhibits the overflowing love that results in knowledge and full insights that Paul prays for. A new pastor is not going to change that. Well, she'll try. But if you want her to be successful, then we have to open our eyes and we have to quit pretending. And we have to come to grips with the fact that, yes, we are a nice church, and that's not enough. Verse 27. Here's the literal translation from the Greek. It's a little bit rough, but it's in the Greek it reads, Live as citizens worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come and see you <clears throat> or am absent and hear about you, I will know that you are collectively engaging the struggle for the faith with one another. Striving is a picture that comes from athletic competition in the Greek word. It means working together as a team. The manner of life is this idea of citizenship. You and I are citizens of the kingdom of God, and we need to live in a manner that shows it. And Paul expects this of the church at Philippi, and he even says to the point that you will suffer together for Christ. Now in 28, 
Don't be intimidated by your opponents. Do you know who our opponents are? Our opponents are to be found in the changing context of our world. They are ideas. Ideas with power. Ideas that tempt us to live as individuals, struggling with each other rather than living for each other in faith, with one mind and one will. These are the ideas that threaten a church. Even the historic faith of Christ can't stand before the undermining that comes when we believe we can do it individually. And the danger, the dangerous place for us is when we pretend that differences don't exist because we, at the depth of our heart, don't believe our love is capable of sustaining them. You see, love means we're committed. Love means we forgive. Love means that we will suffer with each other, that we'll put up with each other, that we will encourage each other, and that we will wait for the Holy Spirit to change us if that's what's necessary. But that takes trust. And you have to decide whether or not you have that trust. You see, Paul expects us to live with a love that is, not an, that is an act of will, that is not an emotion. He expects the church to be a community where issues are raised, and we must raise them in our new context and prayerfully work through them, and where our commitment to striving together enables us to endure the tensions that surely will confront us. Paul expects us to live where the gospel defines our fellowship, where the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ has become so central that it has reoriented our living because the living for it is the goal of our life, not a hobby. Reinhold Niebuhr wrote these words in his book, The Irony of American History. Nothing that is worth doing can be achieved in our lifetime. Therefore, we must be saved by hope. Nothing which is true or beautiful or good makes complete sense in any immediate context of history. Therefore, we must be saved by faith. Nothing we do, however virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Hear that. Nothing we do, no matter how virtuous, can be accomplished alone. Therefore, we must be saved by love. No virtuous act is quite as virtuous from the standpoint of our friend or foe as it is from our standpoint. Therefore, we must be saved by the final form of love, which is forgiveness. Abounding love, overwhelming love, 
Wouldn't you like to see that? That's what it will take for the church to confront the world in which we live. Jesus wants to know if we're ready to surrender for that. Jesus wants to know if we're ready to join the church of Philippi to make that our goal in life and not just our hobby. We're going to sing. And while you are singing, I want you to consider what God would have you to do in order to strengthen the prospect that our new pastor will find a community where she can hit the ground running and bring the purposes of Christ to new levels of accomplishment in our midst. Let's sing together. Please stand and sing with us. One.
experience. There are many ways that you can do that. I'm always available to pray with you. You can pray with each other. We will collect this morning's offering as you go out, and if you're online, you can use our online giving services. My prayer for you is that we go forth into a week of service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, May we have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to love. May we hear Paul's words as he finished his letter to the Ephesians. Peace to the whole community and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have an undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.